Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. My name is Sam Kelly and this week I'll be interviewing the authors of Collaborative Society, a title from the MIT Press Essential Knowledge Series. Thanks as ever to Kristen Galano for our soundtrack. We'll be uploading a new podcast every Friday featuring interviews with authors. Like and subscribe via all the usual platforms. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Before I ask you about your book, Collaborative Society, I'll just uh, give you a brief introduction. Darius Yermelniak, you are a full professor and head of management in network and digital environments at Kosminski University, a member of the board of trustees at the Wikimedia Foundation, faculty associate at Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard, and also working as a fellow at the MIT Center for Collective Intelligence. And Alexandra Prigolenska, you are an associate professor at Kosminski University and previously a research fellow working at the uh, MIT Center for Collective Intelligence as well. Thanks for chatting to me. Pleasure. Happy to be here. Great. So for this conversation, I want to ask you both about your book, both in a broader sense, uh, and then also I think it would be good to maybe talk about it in relation to COVID-19. Uh, but to start us off, could you both explain to me what collaborative society refers to? All right, I can go first. I think uh, <laughs> I think uh, collaborative <laughs> society is a phenomenon we're describing, and we're trying to see how collaboration is happening through intermediating technologies. So we're trying to see the natural tendencies of people to collaborate as they're amplified through technology. And we see it in many different areas, but I think our the gist is we want to say that collaborative society is a term that quite well captures phenomena as different as platform capitalism, peer production, citizen science, and we see that collaboration and cooperative behaviors of humans, again, uh, intermediated by technology, are happening simultaneously there, and it's a growing phenomenon. Ola, what do you say? Do you agree? Mm, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree because this book came out of our observations sort of of different DIY movements, you know, grassroots initiatives, uh, open source collaboration that's been with us for a while. But also, uh, I myself, I've been uh, working quite a lot on researching wearable technologies, and I've noticed how they are kind of co-produced, co-created by, you know, many different people who basically do not count on any profit. They just wish to collaborate and they want to share the knowledge and exchange kind of knowledge. So that's something uh, I think we've noticed sort of, and uh, we found it to be a growing uh, phenomenon. Um, on the other hand, kind of, we also, I think we're trying to tackle the, the negative side of collaboration, for instance, the dark side of collaboration, which is the fact that we have so many like online mobs, you know, like uh, groups of haters, trolls, like really consolidated communities online that can bully someone quite effectively. And that also is um, uh, in a way collaboration. So we've seen, you know, collaborative endeavors and efforts everywhere um, online and uh, I think soon that I will also transfer to not the internet but also internet of things and so many other like technological domains and I think that was something that kind of inspired us to uh, to write this book. Great and um, I wanted to ask you as well that the overriding kind of economic attitude that we all tend to live in likes to see people as individual agents who are all competing against each other and that's really what produces 
you know, the best results. And in your writing and in the book, you actually argue that human behavior is much more based in interdependence and collectivity, collaboration. And you actually argue that it distinguishes humans from animals in a more fundamental way than something like having opposable thumbs. And I was wondering if you could give me some evidences to support that claim. Well, I mean, I think the, the evidences are quite, quite clear. We, we have studies showing, and there, these are not our studies, but there, there are studies showing that humans are more collaborative than any other species at a very early stage of, of development already. Except for ants, Darius. Ants are <laughs> Except for ants, much yeah. better at Ants that. are very collaborative. <laughs> T- true that. But again, uh, the difference is that humans are very apt at collaborating with non-kin, while ants only collaborate within, uh, within one anthill, within one uh, colony. So humans are really geared towards cooperating with people who are not really kin to them. And they're could be, of course, a speculative claim that this is what makes culture happen. This is what makes civilization happen. Because if you look at 100,000 years back, we were not really all that smart. And we we're not smarter now. We we're just only able to build upon years and generations of small additions of knowledge, small additions of uh, wisdom. And altogether, it creates what we know as civilization now. However, I would say that cooperative behaviors even predate capitalism. And capitalism, you, you, you made a very good point. Currently, we are atomized as a society. Individuals work on their own. They are kind of, uh, they're trying to uh, make it on their own in the society as we live now. But it's, it's capitalism that makes us work towards individual goals. Even raising a child used to be a collective behavior. Currently, it's much more uh, family household oriented. But our claim in the book is that technology is helping the collaborative behaviors emerge back, emerge again. And I think there's something really very powerful that we can see in people spontaneously trying to 3D print ventilators, trying to 3D print face shields, doing stuff to combat these horrible pandemics just because they want to do something together, they want to be helpful. And of course, many of those initiatives will not be necessarily uh, effective or will will not really bring fruits. But altogether, I think they're very symptomatic. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, I guess there is a claim to be made that um, we, we have both of these kind of paths uh, intersecting constantly. So you have competition and you have collaboration, right? And that kind of all together brings very interesting results. I even recently encountered this term of uh, co-opetition, which is a combination of, uh, you know, collaboration and competition, some sort of coach or, or trainer brought it to my attention. I was like, whoa, this is this is kind of interesting. And obviously, in many ways, we, uh, we, well, we, we had different models, like economic and also like societal models in which we have functioned where, you know, uh, let's say, emphasis was put either on one or the other. So here, obviously, capitalism, capitalism is really something that is... Uh, let's say, somehow increasing this uh, competitive spirit and uh, to a large extent kind of, you know, tells the individuals that they are individuals and like kind of eliminates that uh, those like uh, weak and uh, strong ties, you know, with, uh, with their uh, network and kind of doesn't 
uh, well, doesn't make people think that they're a part of the network, peripheral or central, whatever it is. They just don't very often don't think about themselves that way, or at least let's say 90s capitalism was pretty much like that. But it is true that, uh, you know, uh, when you look at development of platforms that are somehow like also post-capitalist uh, phenomenon that is happening right now with all the Ubers and everything that we actually tended to avoid uh, as examples in our book. We were not trying to go mainstream with that. But uh, even when you look at those platforms, you can see that this, uh, you know, individualism and um, let's say competitive spirit or competition is somehow already redefined, right? Through collaboration, through the fact that you're very aware by the very design of this technology that you are a part of the network and that you need to collaborate with others constantly. You're being evaluated by others. You know, your presence becomes validated by others and your activity is graded, you know, by that network. And that together, this network creates a very, like a large impressive entity, you know, or just, just a part of it. And I think, you know, those platforms have really like allowed us to see that collaboration is very much there in capitalism, which has just tended not to, not to notice it because of the very discourse, uh, I think, around capitalism, you know, some particular versions of capitalism where it was all about you and your ambitions and, and kind of your life. I want to ask you if you could expand on that and clarify, maybe using some different examples, the different forms differentiated in the book between kind of capitalist and cooperativist platforms and between users orientated towards profit maximization and non-profit status. Can you kind of differentiate out a few of the different models and the different drives and models of ownership that are operating in them? Darius, as an avid Wikipedian, you may want to start. Uh, sure. I think <laughs> it is very clear now, after 20 years of Wikipedia open source development, that people are very willing to do stuff together, to do something for free, and to offer mm, wonderful products and uh, wonderful things uh, without expecting any remuneration. Wikipedia, Linux, uh, Ubuntu, Mozilla, or all good examples of extremely successful products competing very well with the commercial ones that have been developed for free by basically by the wisdom of crowds, by people doing stuff together. And I think it is very clear to me now that it's quite likely not just monetary remuneration. And I would even say there we have cases of people doing something clearly against their economic interest. If you look at, for example, if people sharing files on the Pirate Bay. It is quite clear that they are risking being punished, they are risking uh, fines or maybe even imprisoned, they are being imprisoned, and yet they are doing this mainly for, uh, for the fact that they are trying to do something together, something for the collaborative group and they want to create something that is uh, the new commons. As you can see, Darius is very idealistic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a bit less like that because I kind of tend to think that, you know, um, so as much as I appreciate, let's say, Wikipedia and Darius efforts specifically, but also like the whole community around it and, uh, you know, admire the endeavor, I, I have to say that in many ways I kind of find the, you know, 
let's say, these other types of platforms that are not so much based on voluntary work and just, you know, um, efforts to help out the society, to become beneficial to the society and so on. I just found these to be a minority. Whereas uh, I would say, you know, this other type that kind of uses the same mechanics, right? So mechanics and dynamics of movements such as Wikipedia or open source are kind of, they're taking that and they're putting that to a completely different context. So I guess to me, as of now, the diagnosis is that, you know, we have uh, very interesting movements that have shown how collaboration can be fruitful. And then there were others who said, yes, collaboration can be very fruitful and it's very rewarding, but at the same time, we want to make money, right? So you would have all those uh, different platforms that dub themselves part of sharing economy and also collaboration. Uh, but in many ways, uh, they are just a kind of, let's say, perhaps in a way, stealing that model and using that for their own uh, goal. Yeah. Do you think that the what kind of determines the, the most sort of idealized projects from the ones that might maybe be on, as you said, the, the dark side? Do you think that's kind of related to the sort of pre-existing society and, and how much it allows a certain kind of decommodification? So to what extent people in their lives can have spare time beyond the way they kind of sell their labor to to just survive and pay their rent and feed themselves? Because, I mean, if you if you look at something like Wikipedia, that's people dedicating their spare time um, to do something that's kind of undoubtedly an incredible resource. But then equally, something like Uber is almost the inverse of that, where it takes up people's free time because their initial form of employment doesn't allow them to kind of support themselves. It's, a, it's an excellent point. Yeah, I mean, that's why we we are calling Uber the unsharing economy. <laughs> it's it's essentially, yeah, it's, it's commodifying something that used to be free it's, it's just like with water before we had bottled water uh, people were sharing water for free now it's a little awkward i mean in some restaurants in europe you won't even get tap water because the assumption is that water should have a price tag on it and here with uber it's very similar if you think about it if your your friend asks you can you give me a ride to the airport now it's it's actually even getting to get awkward why don't you get an uber now because it has been commodified something that used to be a favor, something that used to be sharing, something that actually used to be collaborative, now it's co commodified. And I think Uber and Airbnb are a very good example of something that is not really new. It's basically selling stuff, uh, selling the goods that are unused or, or services that, that were uh, uh, unaccounted for. And the only innovation here is basically a platform that helps with um, making the uh, demand and supply meet. Uh, what is innovative in technology is Wikipedia, it's Linux, it's citizen science, all those efforts that actually fundamentally redefine sharing behaviors and collaborative behaviors. And I would, I would say that Uber is not particularly... Using Uber in the same sentence as sharing economy is basically a, a misdemeanor. Mm. Although at the same time, I guess we could, we could say that it's, you know, it's, it's very complex. We were trying to tackle it somehow in our book as well, because, you know, uh, I, I guess we didn't want to be that binary in the sense that here's the good side, here's the evil side, here's Darth Vader, and here is like Yoda, you know? So it's just, uh, it's a bit more complex because 
obviously, I mean, many of, uh, many of us know people who are kind of using Uber as a supplementary job that they're just using every now and then, you know, just like an extra thing. Whenever I want it, I just do it. I myself, for instance, uh, every time I was in Austin, Texas, I was meeting people like, you know, who are Uber drivers and they told me, we're just Uber drivers uh, during the festival, South by Southwest, because we want to meet people. We're, that's the, the only reason why we're doing it, right? So obviously, probably within this big community of uh, Uber drivers, you will find many people with many different motivations. And some of that will be very much collaborative and just very much in line with the spirit of like, you know, increasing your network, kind of expanding, doing something together and so on and so forth. But I do agree with Darius here that probably that's not the majority, right? So the majority... Right. Uh, has different circumstances. Uh, let me just add that Darth Vader turned out to be a very positive <laughs> character in the end. So uh, sorry for the spoiler, but it's... You know, it's my favorite <laughs> character. Always has been, always will be. But only Kylo Ren is slightly better because he's like a millennial version of, of, uh, of Darth Vader, <laughs> which makes him even better. So does the difference kind of rely on um, a question of ownership and to what degree the users have a, have a kind of material stake in the organization as a whole then, or...? Uh, I also think freedom, how much freedom they have to choose whether they wish to get engaged or not, right? To what extent they're forced to get engaged without any other, like, you know, opportunities to do something else, right? To what extent is that something we would call like uh, free and immaterial or material labor that is kind of enforced? or And to what extent we would call it something that is a voluntary action based on your interests, based on your passions, based on some of your, you know, motivations, right? Or just uh, uh, the goal to to kind of serve others. I think that's for me. That's that's a very important factor here in making those uh, I would decisions. Say if, if you want to go all neo-Marxist or Bravermaniac, uh, you sure would say that the ownership of the means of uh, production is key. But I would say what we're observing at this from from my from my uh, research, what I see as different is not necessarily the ownership of means of production but the ownership of organizational structure and hierarchy. So to what extent does the community control the rules, the organizational norms, and how is, uh, how is the cooperation performed? Not necessarily about the actual technical means of production or the ownership of servers. It's probably a little secondary. Of course, when you look at organizations such as Yelp or, or such as Google Guides, you will see there are co collaborative behaviors. It's very collaborative society in a sense, but both the ownership of the structures and the ownership of the means of production is on the side of the corporation. And nevertheless, I think it is quite important and useful to try to distinguish both. So the means of production, sure, but also organizational structures, hierarchies and culture. Okay, great. Um this might be a good time as well to ask uh, you guys what what kind of effect is COVID having on your areas of research? Because it's definitely having an impact on the way people think of themselves as individuals, what role people think uh, collectivism should play. And I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear what you guys think about that. Well, I think we were kind of surprised to what extent the book is actually accurate in a way, because when we were writing it, like, you know, I mean, we were like really investigating various tools like online tools or like technologies that specifically target and are supposed to address 
collaboration. And it felt like there were not so many or not so many that were like, let's say heavily used by people. We did notice that there are tools that are used for collaboration, even though they were not designed for it, like Tinder, for instance, which was kind of interesting. But on the other hand, I, I don't think that, you know, I mean, we, we did not expect the situation that kind of happened. No, nobody did, except for artificial intelligence that knew, uh, you know, the Canadian project that knew that the pandemic will spread before the pandemic really spread. But that's a different thing. What AI knows is different from what humans know. Anyway, what I wanted to say is that uh, I think we're like a surprise because now people are really looking for collaborative features in each and every tool, right, that they're using because they know they need it. Most of their work is done remotely. They're going through an enforced kind of like imposed um, digital transformation currently. And those collaborative features that were hidden and perhaps under investigated are now becoming super prominent. So that's kind of interesting, I would say context for this book um, at this point. And uh, well, for, for me, I guess specifically, you know, uh, the situation with coronavirus and the whole like uh, a process of, of people discovering to what extent they've always been co collaborating, but that was not clear to them. For instance, working remotely shows you how much effort you have to put into maintain, maintaining relations with people, establishing them, agreeing on something together. I think that it was more seamless, like in the physical world. And now with, you know, with, with this uh, type of work that we're all doing, right, Zooming and uh, whatnot, uh, actually, it's kind of clear for us how much network, uh, collaboration, exchange of ideas matters and how hard it can be if you don't have specific channels that could, uh, you know, properly address it and run it. So for me, that's kind of, uh, I, I guess, very, very, well, interesting uh, part of what's going on. Yeah, if I, I, I totally agree here. Uh, I, I wanted to add it that I think feel extremely privileged that I can work from home in these difficult times. It's uh, obviously it's, it's a, an, a huge privilege to be able to do that and not to worry uh, that you, you know, you have to be an Uber driver or you do Instacart and, and risk infection. So there is that. Uh, personally, I, of course, I have little discomforts of being locked down for six weeks. Uh, my best friend's father is uh, under ventilator. So it does affect me personally, but research-wise, I think it's, well, it may be cynical to say, but it's a jackpot. I think this is exactly what we've been researching, what we've been writing. This book couldn't have uh, gone out uh, in a better time, uh, with the only exception that it's a little more difficult to organize book tours and, and book talks. But I think uh, we're exactly describing a phenomenon that's happening right now, just as I said. And also what is really interesting is that while we're all experiencing the advantages of collaborative society, uh, the technology intermediated co cooperation, we're also experiencing where it falls short. For instance, we can be super raving about citizen science people or, or other, uh, other organizations and, and, and individuals trying to produce those face masks that I mentioned or ventilators, 3D printed ventilators. And there's about a dozen of initiatives like this over the world. All of them are very noble, very important, but they lack an important part, which would be certification, also protecting against uh, uh, liability. These things are not easily fixable through collaborative society means. So 
collaborative society can lead to creating something rapidly, very effectively, but it will fall short in terms of legal structures, uh, organizational support, which often will be very important. And it's, I think it's very symptomatic. If you look at the case of ventilators specifically, in the United States, there used to be a project sponsored by the state, and they were meant to develop a relatively cheap ventilator for the time of a crisis. Uh, it was called Aura, if I'm not mistaken. And this very project was shut down, basically because a big corporation uh, took over a, a small organization that was supposed to develop it. Another project in September got certified to produce ventilators for roughly a fraction of a price of a standard ventilator. It went through all the certifications and yet the company did not start production because it made sense. It made more sense for them to produce a more expensive version for international market. Collaborative society was able to develop rapidly within a couple of weeks blueprints for ventilators that can save lives. And yet it's very difficult to even distinguish between those projects. Which of them are better? Which should we use? If, if it comes down to actually making a decision, should we start 3D printing this one or this one? Which are we going to choose? We do not have an ultimate authority here. That's where universities such as MIT uh, or University of Florida jump in and they are actually certifying and testing all those, uh, all those grassroots initiatives. But I think the whole problem shows where collaborative society is magnificent and where it's actually not as efficient as the existing institutions. Well, I would also add to that, that, you know, I mean, so I have this friend of mine here next door who builds like DIY 3D printed masks, you know, and I just uh, took a picture of myself in that huge mask. I actually look like Darth Vader. I can show you later because the mask is like huge. It's like enormous. Uh, but but it's very safe. So so she did her own like research. She found the you know proper materials and everything to kind of uh, build it. And immediately when I posted it, there were people saying share files, share files of the model because we want to do it by ourselves. So you could see like that spreading so easily. And I think what Darius said is is very interesting that you know we have collaborative society, but not necessarily perhaps collaborative administration, collaborative state structures, collaborative, um, you know, I mean, companies, you know, so in many ways, obviously, Google is a great example. There are, there is a lot of collaboration going on there. But, you know, it's, it's a completely different spirit and dynamics. And um, I think that's, that's the problem. So you can do so many, like new things, you can have those DIY initiatives where people are just willingly sharing, especially in these circumstances, where this is so much needed, and like their lives and, and their health is threatened. But, but on the other hand, right, you, you just don't have that chain ends there, right. And then you have like this like big hole. And um, just kind of their efforts are not in, easily translated to a massive scale, or their efforts are not well translated into like let's say bigger endeavors that should serve like let's say a given country right or uh, um, it's something like European Union right I would expect uh, perhaps EU uh, to kind of benefit from that easier but it's not easy to kind of gather that uh, you know natural kind of spirit of collaboration and kind of bring it to um, yeah di different settings I would say. I was wondering if there was any final comments you'd like to make on how the project of uh, collaborative society, you know, 
the the hope is that people, the more literate people are on this subject, the more people can contribute to a more, I guess, utopian democratic version of collaborative society. And I was wondering if you had any final comments on what the aims should be and what are the major pitfalls that should be avoided to finish on. Comments, final comments. I would, I, I just need to think. Maybe you have something that immediately pops to your head. Sure. I think I have one comment. Collaborative society is awesome. It's great, but it will not substitute for what the institutions have to solve. And in, in neoliberal discourse, it's very typical to sort of impose responsibility on individuals. I wouldn't say that collaborative society will be an answer to everything. On the contrary, I think it's we already know very well where it works, but we know where it falls short, as I, as I said before. And I think it's imperative that there are regulations that make it work better. Uh, and there, there are initiatives, in, in, even in the European Union, for example, the right to repair something that is broken. It's very much in line with the movement of people collaboratively trying to fix things. But I think we need more. We need uh, the new commons, uh, the new corporate the copyright is broken, and I think we need to approach this topic bravely and openly and help the collaborative society rather than inhibit it. I would add something to that. Um, I don't think we know as much about collaboration as we actually think we do. I don't think, uh, you know, it's, it's really an investigated topic. I've, I think we've just been putting emphasis elsewhere for a very long time. And in fact, for instance, when you think about certain shortages or like limitations of the collaborative tools or technologies that we have to them, they're exemplifying that exactly, that we don't know much about collaboration, right? We are geared for collaboration. We're doing it kind of well, but we've never really focused on it enough to kind of really uh, finally thrive or really, you know, use this collaborative component uh, at its fullest potential. So here I think there will be a lot to be done and we'll see um, uh, hopefully interesting initiatives that are not only, you know, uh, working collaboratively, but also investigating collaboration to really understand it better. Great. That seems like a great place to finish. Thanks for chatting to me, guys. Thank it's you been, so much. It's been really fun. Thanks. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thank Bye. You. Take care. Bye-bye.